Hemsworth's version. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in, thy, in the midst of thy heart. For they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a forward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left hand. Remove thy foot from evil. It is so good to see you this morning, especially if you're visiting with us. We're glad that you are can't help let me turn that on that would help I just can't help but but stand here and and uh, look out over the congregation and be so happy to be a part of this family we were having such a wonderful time last night and I know a few of us uh, that wanted to attend were not able to but as I sat there and I was watching that group of people I said, you know what I'm looking at is a bunch of people that love each other. And that is such a blessing to be a part of this family. And Nicole and I and the girls appreciate you so much adopting us into this family. We're thankful to you for that. The wisest man to ever live other than our Lord Solomon gave some wonderful words of advice to his son. He told him to guard his heart. Because when we guard our hearts... We do that because everything we do in life flows from our hearts. It all begins in our hearts, right? Our, our, our spiritual heart, hearts, our minds. Now, we're not bound by the law of Moses. But Paul made this statement, Romans 15, verse 4. He said, what, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Hope is a wonderful word. But what is it for which we hope? What is our hope? Our hope is our faith. And our faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Our faith is based in our desire to have something. And that something is eternal life. We hope for that. We have a faith that we can have eternal life. Now if we want our faith to materialize, into something that we can see. And of course, that something would be heaven. We have to guard our hearts. Why? Well, let's go back. Because from our hearts flows everything of which we do in this life. Paul made another statement. Let's notice Colossians 3, verses 1 through 2. He said, if you be risen with Christ, if, this word if is better translated in our uh, jargon as because. Because you've been risen with Christ. Remember, he's writing to Christians. Seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. When we compare what Solomon said with what Paul said, it gets pretty clear pretty quickly 
They they are saying the same thing. They're teaching the same thing. In the Christian age, we are raised by Christ. How? Through the watery grave of baptism. We bury the old man of sin, the old woman of sin. We bury that person that we no longer want to be. We come up out of the watery grave and we are a new creature walking in a new life. So what do we do then? What do we do after having obeyed the gospel and it culminating in us rising out of that water, having our sins washed away, having believed on Christ, because that's what we do in the Christian age, having repented of past sins, confessed that He is the Son of God, that He rose from the dead, that He's sitting on the right hand of the Father at this very moment, reigning over the kingdom that He established and bought with His own blood, Acts 20.28 culminating in us being Christians. So what then? At that point, we've got to get busy. At that point, we have got to concentrate on guarding our hearts if we're going to have our hope materialized into everlasting life. To tell someone to guard his heart is pretty simple, right? We can say that in just a few moments. Guard your heart. Well, fulfilling that commandment is a little more difficult. The real work is understanding how we guard our hearts, right? How do we do that in a world that cares nothing for God, cares nothing for His plan for mankind or His love for us? How do we do that? How do we guard our hearts? That's the goal this morning. We want to come to an understanding of how are we going to guard our hearts as we look at the words of Solomon and some of the other writers. How are we going to guard our hearts? And that's what I've entitled this sermon, simply guarding our heart. Well, if we're going to be like God, we have to progress every day in our lives, don't we? We have to be changing every single day in our lives. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I just can't change, I've always been that way. Well, you know, I know a whole lot of husbands that said that to their wives 20 years ago, and they're a whole lot different people than they are today, now, than then. Right? Can we change? Sure we can change. Is it easy? No, absolutely not. Does it, does pe- do people like to change? No, we hate change, don't we? We're kind, of like, we're, we're kind of creatures of habit. We like going along and not having any bumps in the road and, and things being okay. We don't want to change. But you know, sometimes we've got to change. Sometimes we have to change our eating habits. Ask my wife. She's killing me. It's not easy, but I can do it. I can do it to the tune of losing a few pounds already, so that's a good thing, isn't it? I want us to understand we can change. I want us to understand we can guard our hearts, but I want us to look at how do we go about doing that. See, we can read all day long what Solomon said, but we have to apply that to our lives in today's world, right? It can be just as applicable today as it was when Solomon wrote those words. It can be just as applicable today as when Paul wrote his words. We can apply that to our lives. If we're going to be like God, we have to have modesty. We have to have virtue. I want us to look at those two words. What what do those words mean? Modesty is having or showing regard for the decencies of behavior speech, dress. 
In, order, in other words, to be decent. What about virtue? Virtue simply means moral excellency. Moral excellency. Now that's a tough one, isn't it? Can be. To be modest in our lives, throughout our lives, and we're not just talking about the way we dress, we're talking about other things. That can be a little difficult. I want us to begin our discussion this morning with considering moral excellency. Considering that in the aspect of guarding our hearts. I want us to begin, and this is our first point. I want us to begin with having a guarded deliberation. That's our thoughts. We better guard our thoughts. But why should we guard our thoughts? Well, if we want to be victorious against Satan and sin, we have to guard what we think about. The process is wherein wherein we transgress, the commandments of God always begins in the mind. Matthew 15, 19. Because from our minds, and that's what this word heart is, From our minds flows everything about our lives. Everything. The wicked are such because of their wicked thoughts. We see that in Psalm 10 verse 4. We go back to Genesis chapter 6 and we look at verse 5 and we understand that the intents and thoughts of their hearts, their minds, was evil only, evil continually. Evil, only evil. Their thoughts ruined them. Cost them their physical lives and it cost them their spiritual lives. God knows our thoughts, doesn't He? David's parting words to Solomon was about guarding his heart. Read with me 1 Chronicles 28, 9. 1 Chronicles 28, 9. I want us to listen to these words of wisdom. And you can't find better words than these. What advice he gave to his son. David said, And thou, Solomon, and you, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. If we seek after God and we guard our hearts, look, We'll find Him. It's just as easy as that. God is not hiding from us. He's not trying to keep us from locating where He is. He is in the same place where He has always been. We just have to go back to it. We can't hide our thoughts from God. It's impossible. We know that. Psalm 94, 11. And the wicked thoughts that that people have in this life, they're an abomination to God. Notice what... Solomon said, Proverbs fifteen twenty six, <clears throat> The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. What does abomination mean? It means to hate. It makes you sick at your stomach. It's terrible. You don't agree with it. You, you just cannot stand something if you abhor it. It's an abomination. And that's what it is with God. Have you ever noticed, children... <clears throat> Sometimes children, they'll be at home and, and boy, they're just the best and they mind so well and then they go off and visit Granny and Grandpa for about a week or so or overnight or something. They come back and it takes you three weeks to get them straightened out. Is that, have you ever noticed that? 
Well, that's kind of a, a humorous example, and we don't mind that too bad. But, but you know, we have to behave the same way all the time. Why? Now, Mom and Dad may not know what's going on over at Granny and Grandpa's. God knows what's going on all the time in our lives, right? We can't hide what we think from Him. We have to behave the way He wants us to behave. I think that sometimes we forget that God can see us simply because we can't see Him. We forget about that. I can't touch God. I can't have a conversation face-to-face with God. But He knows my thoughts. I can't hide from Him. Would we want to take our children somewhere where people were using filthy language? Where people were running around naked? Where people were acting in ways that is just uh, that we would abhor? Would we want to take our children somewhere like that? Why no, we wouldn't want to do that. We don't want to open our children up to things like that. But you know, God knows our thoughts whether we can see Him or not. And do we want to show Him those things? We're in His family. Those of us who have obeyed the gospel. We don't want to subject Him to that. That's why we want our deliberation to be virtuous, of moral excellence. But again, let's go back to the how. We understand the why, don't we? How am I going to do that? What's the application into my lives? Solomon says, guard your hearts. How do I do it? Well, let's start by what we see. Let's start by what we see. There's a problem in this nation. Not just this nation, but the world. Pornography. Loose morals. You, you, you walk through the checkout line and you can't even look at the magazine rack. Nicole and I, a few years ago, for our anniversary, decided that we would go to the Grand Canyon. I'd never been there. Nicole really wanted to go. And I thought, well, since she wants to go, let's go. Well, I'd always heard about you flying to Las Vegas. It's cheap. It's cheap to stay there. You can eat cheap. Well, all that's true. I did that. I flew into Las Vegas. I'll never fly into Las Vegas again. Let me tell you why. You can't go up the strip in Las Vegas from one spot to the other without them advertising on these rolling billboards, naked women, prostitution. Why do I want to see that? That's not good for me to see that. It's not good for anybody to see it, right? Don't place any wicked thing before your eyes. Isn't that what David said? He said, I'm not going to put it there in front of me so I can see it. Because if I see it, I'll think about it. And if I think about it, out of my heart flows the issues of life and I might do something I shouldn't do. The Apostle John warned against the lust of the flesh, 1 John 2, 16 and 17. Be careful of the lust of the flesh. That's one of the greatest avenues of temptation Satan uses. He'll get us with it. Jesus Himself left no doubt that what we see can cause us to lose our souls, Matthew 5, 28 and 29. We have to guard what we see, but we have to guard what we hear. That's just as important, isn't it? We have to guard what we hear. We ought to look for situations where we hear good things. We see that in Proverbs 8.33. We gathered up at, at Brother Clay and Sister Margaret's house last night and we heard a lot of good things. But you know, everywhere you go isn't full of good things. Well, well, what things are bad that we should not listen to? What about being at work and in a, in a co-worker telling a filthy joke? Sometimes, when, especially when we're younger, 
we kind of feel maybe a little pressured and to kind of go along and laugh at something that we know really deep in our minds that we shouldn't be doing that, and we kind of pushed into that a little bit. Now, that's our fault. We have to guard against that. But, but see, we sometimes place ourselves in a situation. What about the music we listen to? What about the music we listen to? I love music. I listen to some music. I like classic rock and roll and things of that nature. But you know, there's a lot of music in the world today that talks about things that God hates. Talks about things and promotes things that is not according to His Bible. Fornication, drinking alcohol, using drugs, things of, things of that nature. Promotes it like it's a good thing. Do those things and you'll be happy. You know, you, you see these commercials... you. Used to, uh, they used to have uh, beer commercials on TV, right? That they would show them drinking beer. Used to have cigarette commercials. I don't even think they can have cigarette commercials now on TV. But what would they do? You know, they would always place a, a naked woman on the ad, right? Indicating, boy, if you buy this kind of beer, you'd buy this kind of cigarette. What, what's the connection? Well, you can have a, you can have a woman like that. That's the, really the connection if you want to get down to it. Why do I want, why do I want to look at that? Why do I want to hear that? See, when I hear something, it affects my mind. Notice what Solomon said again. Proverbs eight thirty three. Hear instruction and be wise and do not refuse it. Well, what kind of instruction is he talking about? Godly instruction. Let's look for that. We can't speak in ungodly ways. We can't tell filthy jokes. We can't listen to filthy music. We can't listen to things that would cause us to be sinful in this world. I'll tell you another way we have to guard our thoughts, by things we say. You think about it, you say it, stop thinking about it and don't say it, right? Now I'm not talking about having fun with each other and joking around and, and things of that nature. And You know, we can do that. We can have fun. Boy, if we couldn't laugh and have fun and be with each other, wouldn't it be a terrible life? I'm talking about saying things we ought not be saying. The tongue that is guarded will help one's soul to be saved. Solomon said, Proverbs 21, 23, guard our tongues. I was speaking with uh, my preacher friend yesterday for a little while, and he said, have you ever noticed, you, you know, you got two kidneys, two arms, two legs? you got two eyes, you have one nose with two nostrils, you got one mouth. <laughs> That's for a reason. Right? You got two ears. It's for a reason you got one mouth. Because most of the time it needs to be closed. Our speech can cause more trouble in just a few minutes than we can correct in a lifetime. We see that James 3 verse 4. If we want to have a good life while on this earth and be productive as possible, we've got to guard our tongues. Notice what Peter said First 1 Peter 3 verse 10. He said, for he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. What, do I want to have a life full of love? Do I want to have good days? Well, you can mess that up when you talk a little more than you ought to, can't you? Among the sins performed by the tongue is, is the sin of talking when we shouldn't be talking. Right? Listen to this. There was a peasant. He had a troubled conscience. He went to the, 
to the elder of the village and he said, you know, I spread some very vile things about my neighbor and I found out it wasn't true. He said, I feel bad about that. What do I need to do? The elder said, well, you take a bag of feathers and you go to every house where you spoke about this individual and you drop some feathers at his door. And you do that and then you come back. So the peasant came back feeling like he had been absolved in some way of his sins and he said, I did exactly what you said. Now I have a clear conscience. He said, no, 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 no. Not yet. He said, now you take that same bag and you go back and you pick up every feather that you dropped at each of those doors. He said, well, I can't do that. You know the wind's blown them all away. He said, exactly. We can say something in just a second that we'll remember for 50 years. I told someone one time when I could have been behaving a little better in this life, I said, you know, I don't have a lot, but I've got a long memory. Now, whether we want to have a long memory or not, we remember. Now, the individual has to deal with that. We can't hold a grudge. But that doesn't always take the hurt away, does it? We have to be extremely careful what we say about people. Our thoughts ought to be focused on that which is good. Uh, Philippians 4 verse 8. If we guard our hearts or we want to do that, we have to have virtuous deliberation. But there's something else that we need, and this is our second point. We need a virtuous demeanor. Well, that's our actions, right? That's what we call that. Let's, be vir- let's have moral excellence in our actions. That's how we conduct ourselves, right? We are called to be holy in this life. We weren't put here to enjoy this world in a sinful way. That's not the purpose God put us here. We're here to be holy. That's the only reason we're here. If we want to boil it down to a statement or one word, our purpose for being on earth, we can say holy. That's why we're here. We're not here to be unholy and ungodly. Peter commanded, 1 Peter 1.15, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. All manner of lifestyle. That's what that word conversation means. Be holy in all of your lifestyle, every aspect of it. We don't have a religious life, a spiritual life, and then just our regular lives. That's not possible, is it? Have you ever heard someone talk that way? I've talked that way before. Well, in my religious life, what do you mean in your religious life? Do you have a multiple personality disorder? You know, look, we just have a life. And we have to be holy in all aspects of our lives if we're going to be able to guard our hearts and get to heaven. We strive each day to be pure in our interactions with other people. We better. We've got to do that, right? We have to be honest in our dealings with our neighbors. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. We have to have a good reputation in the world, right? When we, when we lead an honest life among the world, we bring honor and glory to God. Isn't that something? 1 Peter 2 verse 12. I want us to always remember the child of God who's walking in the light, he's not going to bring reproach upon the church. No one's going to say, well, if, if I'm walking in the light and I'm being what I ought to be, we're not going to hear a conversation like, well, that Rick Owens, he, does he go to the White Oak Church of Christ? Well, he's out doing this and this and this. Is that what they believe? Do they believe it's okay to be out drunk on the weekend? Is it, is it okay to have two or three girlfriends? 
Is it okay to be dishonest and cheat and lie and steal? and all? Well, that's what he's doing. That's what's going on over there. If that's what's going on, we've got a problem, right? We're not guarding our hearts. Our demeanor is not holy. And that's not what God wants. Virtuous action, though, begins with an attitude. We have to have a virtuous attitude. The Christian's work is to influence those of the world for the better, not the worse. 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. We may even have the opportunity to convert someone. Do you remember when Peter used the husband-wife example on an influence someone can have over another in bringing them to God? Look at 1 Peter 3, verse 1, beginning. He said, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Of course, now that's not just limited to one's spouse. We can be an influence for good. A friend of mine was uh, doing some... Uh, teaching a class in Hawaii one time, and he told me, he said, there was a, a man that had been converted to the gospel that lived in Hawaii, and Hawaii has a huge homeless problem because, you know, it's great weather all the time. You can live in a tent in Hawaii and live pretty good, you know. And he said that this family allowed this man to live in a tent in their backyard. But he noticed every Sunday morning, at a certain time, and every Sunday night, at a certain time, and every Wednesday night, at a certain time, they would leave. And they would be gone for an hour or two, and then they would come back, and it just went on and on and on. And so he asked them one time, where are you going? So we're going to church. We're going to go worship God. We're going to go study His Word. He said, well, tell me about that. By their influence and their godly actions, their demeanor in this life, this man was converted. That's priceless. It's always been the case that the Christian, Peter said, is a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. First Peter one or First Peter two, verse nine. Have you know? Do you know it's always been the case that the priest has been saved in order so he could serve? That's the whole purpose. We look in Exodus thirteen eleven through sixteen, and we see that God claimed the firstborn of Israel from the tribe of Levi because of the firstborn who were killed in Egypt. He claimed that for himself. This doctrine of substitution was illustrated for us in Numbers 3, 11 through 13. Why were the Levites saved? Instead of them being offered, God took them for His own. Why? So they could serve. You had to, in order to be a priest, you had to be a Levite. In order to do anything with the temple in a religious ceremonial type of thing, you had to be from the tribe of Levi. God saved them to serve. Why are we saved? To serve God. That's our whole purpose. Didn't Solomon say that in Ecclesiastes? For the whole of man is what? To fear God and keep His commandments. That's our whole purpose. Holy to be holy. We are to show forth His praises. You know what that phrase, show forth, means? We get that from a word that means to publish. A couple Saturdays ago, or Saturday before yesterday, we took these young people and we published to the area about God. We're saved to serve. If we're going to guard our hearts, we must do it through a virtuous deliberation. We have to do it through a virtuous demeanor. 
But finally, I want to talk for a few minutes, and this is our third and final point. We have to have moral excellence in our dress, the way I present myself, right? And how do I do that? Well, I have to be separate. I have to be set apart. I have to be different from those around me. Paul told Timothy to teach the Christians with whom he worked to be separate. Okay? Don't be like the world. Notice what he said in 1 Timothy 2, verse 9 beginning. He said, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Now look, that's not limited to women. Okay? Men have to be modest. Now I want us to understand this immediate context. We're not talking about going around naked in this context. In fact, Paul's talking about being overly dressed. Because what would happen in that time? Women would come in and they had this competition kind of going on. Who had the most fancy dresses, the broided hair. They would, they would work their hair up and it would uh, make the 60s beehive look small. They would have ornaments in their hair, look like a Christmas tree on their head. And they would come in and boy, it brought everybody's attention to them. See, isn't that what immodest is? Inappropriate attention brought on yourself? Now this wasn't because they were lacking clothing. They were drawing attention to themselves with gold and and all of these things. It's alright to wear jewelry. It's okay to wear makeup. It's okay to look your best. But if you come in somewhere trying to dress like the Queen of England so you can demonstrate to everybody else or the King of England how much better you are, that's immodest. And so that's the immediate context. But can it work the other way? Can we make application to not having enough clothes on? Let's read Paul's words to the Romans again. Romans 12, 1-2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable to be that way. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Deliberate, being virtuous in our deliberation. By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We cannot act like the world in any way, and that includes how we dress. That's just the simple truth, isn't it? Notice what Paul exhorted Timothy, 2 Timothy 2 verse 22. He said, flee youthful lusts. You know what lust is? Illegal desire. Illegal desire. That's what lust is. Can Can a husband and a wife lust for one another? Nope, it's impossible. Not if they have a scriptural marriage anyway. They can't lust for each other. It's impossible. But can someone, can two people who are not married, can they have a lust for one another? You better believe it. We've probably all been there at one point or another, growing up in our lives and and, 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 and maturing and being in the world. And, you know, we've all stumbled around a little bit. We we may have looked at someone or we may have done something and, and had a desire that's illegal. That's an illegal desire in God's eyes. Lust. So Paul said, Timothy, you get away from that stuff. 
Don't hang around it. Run from it. What can cause someone to lust? What about if a man or a woman is, is on the street corner or they're sitting at a red light downtown in Chattanooga and, and a man or a woman's coming up and they're dressed in barely their clothes and they're standing for the light to change and you look over and there they are? Could that be a problem? Could that be a problem in this life? Well, if you're normal, right, and you have an attraction to the opposite sex, and you're looking at that and you continue to look at it, that causes a problem in this life. That's just the truth of the matter. Have you ever noticed what Lot did? He messed up bad when he left Abraham. He stood and he looked. He looked and he walked toward it. And he sat down by it. That's a problem. We have to guard against that. So we have to guard ourselves from being dressed immodestly, causing someone else to have a problem, right? We have to flee those things. How do we separate ourselves? We have to stick to God's standards. You know what the world's going to tell you? They're going to say, you don't have a right to set the standard on what's modest and immodest. Guess what? They're correct. Let's give it to them. Rick Owens doesn't set the standard on what's modest and what's immodest. The men of the congregation don't set that standard. Who sets the standard? God. So if we're going to understand what His standard is, let's look and see what He says that His standard is. There's no doubt that we're going to have a problem with this sometimes, right? <clears throat> We've got examples of women in the Bible who were modest. Do you remember Queen Vashti, Esther 1? Verse 11, she refused to present herself before the princes of the nation. But when you do a little background work on that and you understand what was going on in that culture, and you look at the, the Hebrew histories and, and you begin to understand how those people lived, Ahasuerus likely wanted her to present herself to the people wearing only her crown. So he could show off what he had. She refused. You know what? It cost her the throne. But she had moral excellency. We read of Ruth, modest and a virtuous woman. We read about the woman of Proverbs 31. She was modest. She was virtuous. She was honest. She was diligent. Now, she can be contrasted, all of these women, with some other people we know about. What about Potiphar's wife? Chased after Joseph on a daily basis. Grabbed him, pulled the coat from him. He had to, he, you know what he did? He fled. He was a young man of probably about 18 years old. He got away from that. Jezebel. We don't even have time to talk about her. The Lord gave the standard of modesty, and we're going to end on this, but I want us to look at his standard quickly. Let's understand what his standard of modesty is. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, you know what they did? Took some fig leaves and they sewed them together and they put on aprons. Well, when you look at that word and you understand what apron means, it looks like our modern day underwear or swimming suit or something like that. Guess what God said? Not going to work. Can't dress that way. You know what God did? He made them coats. When we look at that word coats and we do a word study on that, that means to cover the shoulder from where the garment hangs. Cover the shoulder. That takes out tank tops and spaghetti straps and 
bear from here up. Take that, that takes it away. That's not my standard. It's not my standard. You know, before that, God's standard was no clothes, wasn't it? Before they sinned, no clothes. That was His standard. But once they sinned, He changed His standard. So this word coat, and Adam wore it just the same as Eve wore it. You can't go without a shirt, brethren. We can't go around without a shirt. That's sinful. That's immodest. In public. Okay? Can we do that at home? Well, sure. That's okay. We're at home, right? We're with our families. But, but their clothes didn't satisfy. Do you remember the priests? Exodus 28, verse 42. You know how the priests dressed? They wore robes. Well, when you look at the design of the temple, and you see that that altar was built on top of kind of a pyramid-looking thing. It had steps. You had to walk up. Well, as those priests walked up those steps, you know what? People looking down could look right up their dress tail. You know what God said? Put on britches. Put on britches. Cover yourself. Why? Cover your nakedness. God called it naked. That was the whole purpose of those garments. Again, Strong tells us that the word translated breeches means to cover the thigh. How far down does the thigh go? Right to the top of my knee. That's the thigh. That's not my standard. That's God's standard. The, the, uh, God's definition of naked hasn't changed. We're to cover the loins. We look in that verse in Exodus 28, the loins, the loins started to small of the back. The small of the back, go all the way down. You've got to be covered to the knee. That's naked. If you, if you don't cover from the small of the back down, and from the small of the back to the shoulder, when we look at coats, we're immodest. Right? That's a problem. Now we may expect impurity from the world, but brethren, we can't be that way in the church. One day the Father's going to send the Son and He's going to have Him to collect His people. You know what He's looking for? People that look like Him. People that walk like Him in His daily life. And people that dress like Him. People that live like Him. Think like Him. He doesn't want anybody else. But in order to do that, we have to have courage. David said, the righteous are as bold as a lion. We've got to stand up and show our godliness and our righteousness. Be bold in that. He gave us the ability to be courageous in the face of problems. 2 Timothy 1, 7. We have to have conviction. We have to be like Vashti. We have to have courage and commitment. You remember Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? All three of those young men, they stood up and they had commitment. They said, look, let me tell you something. Oh, King, our God can save us, but if He chooses not to save us, I'm still not bowing down before your image. I'm not going to do it. I'm committed. We have to have that. We have to have courage. We have to have conviction. We have to have commitment. And the only way we can do that is if we're a child of God. We talked about how to do that. If you've never obeyed the gospel, don't leave here today without having done that. Obey the gospel. Let's all get to heaven. We had a wonderful time last night. Can you imagine the time we're going to have surrounding the throne of God in psalms, singing praises? I can't wait. And I know you can't either. If you've never obeyed the gospel, do that today. If you've fallen away, come back as we stand and as we sing.